right, let's get into the sermon. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Very familiar portion of Scripture uh, for sure. We're going to be... The story of the prodigal son. Now, if you've been here any time and you've heard me teach out of this passage, you've heard me say that I believe that the parable of the prodigal son is more about the father than it is the sons. And never did that hit me more clearly than as a father wrestling over my children's lives and praying, not being a perfect person involved, sometimes our heads aren't, especially as dads. Come on. And, and I think there's something built into a dad who is a protector, a dad who is a, a, a guide, a leader. A, 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 there's something inside of us. Whether we always live up to that or not is a different story. So I've always looked at this, especially when I was wrestling over some things in my daughter, my son's life. And, and I spent a lot of time in this parable. And I began to understand that, it's a lot, that there's much of it's about the Father. And let me tell you something. You will become more familiar, more open to this scripture when you as a father are the one sitting on the porch. Waiting. Hello, somebody. So let's do this. Let's read it. Luke chapter 15. I, I, and let's just start with verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. Now, I don't know if you understand what that means. Basically what this son is saying to his father is, you're as good as dead to me already. Because you, you don't get an inheritance until your father dies. So basically, he comes to his father and says, you're as good as dead to me already. Wow. And look what the father did. And he divided his property between them. Wow. That means he now will be dependent on his sons for his survival. Because he gave both the sons what belonged to them when he died. Hello? I'm just reading here. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. He moved out. And the whole community watched him do it. They witnessed this because he had to move everything. He had to take everything his father gave him. And, and, and it wasn't like you put it in a little briefcase and you move out. He, had, he took everything. And so there's this, this event that happens in the community that shakes and rocks not only this family, but the whole community. The whole community watches this son leave. Think about this. Verse 14, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. Now, no self-respecting Jewish person is going to be around pigs. 
So this is not just about being a pig farmer. This is not just about having a dirty job. This is about you are so low that you are willing to violate everything. Come on, somebody. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I'll arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. There was an anticipation, there was a looking, there was a wanting, there was a desire. This father had positioned himself to see. This father had positioned himself to watch. Not, so that means he had to be praying. He had to be longing. That means the desire in his heart was that his son would come home. And so every day he had positioned himself so that he could see if his son would come down the very road that he left on. He positioned himself. And obviously the community would have watched this every day as his father positioned himself. And watched. And everybody had to mumber out. He's, he's not coming home. I, this poor guy. He, look how broken hearted. Look at Somebody go tell him. Somebody go. Come on somebody. Yeah. He felt compassion and he ran. Can I tell you that in this culture. It was. Anti. It was. Um, considered. Disrespectful for men to run. Because men would have had to pick up their... And this would be exposed. It was, it was considered disrespectful for men, especially men in his position, to run. And the community is watching... This father positioned himself and one day he sees his son and, and as dirty and as, as bad looking as his son is, as filthy as he is, he recognizes him. And the Bible says not only did he have compassion, but he ran to him through the very community that watched come on somebody. He was willing to dishonor his own social status. In order to embrace, the Bible says, and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to the father, I sinned against heaven and before you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Watch how the father interrupts him. He never got to the park, just make me a slave. You know Why? Because a son can never be a slave. Not to a father. It wasn't going to happen. There's no need to even talk about it. There's no discussion that needs to happen. This is not even a possibility. And so what the father does, instead of letting his son say, I'll be a servant, the father interrupts him and tells the servants, go. I know he's dirty. I know he smells like pigs. I, I know he's filthy. Quickly, I want you to find my best robe. Wait a minute. He needs a bath before he puts that on. 
put it on him, put a ring on his hand, which symbolizes authority. That's basically the dad's credit card. Put shoes on his feet. Why? Because slaves didn't wear shoes. You don't, you don't read your Bible the way I do. Come on. And bring the fatted calf. And let's eat and celebrate. For this is my son. This is my son. He was dead. But he's alive again. He was lost. And is found. And they began to celebrate. So Father, bless the reading of the word. To the hearing of our ear and the receiving of our heart. In Jesus' name. And everyone said. Now brace yourself. Everybody say brace yourself. Much of what you're going to hear today, I'm going to deliver, but it is shared from the heart of of four young men. Hello, somebody. And I loved hearing what they had to say. I loved how they responded to this. I love hearing their reference points because of their opinions and their ideas. And let me say this at the beginning of our message today. We've been talking about revival. We've been talking about how God's pouring it out. We are, I mean, this God is doing some stuff. Come on. God's doing some stuff. And we're experiencing things that are incredible. In our house, here where God is at, where we're at today, we're, we're, I talked to a pastor this week who said, pray for us. We're not meeting budget. I'm not sure what's going to happen to the, come on somebody. I talked to a pastor, he said, I hear there's a lot of young people in your church. How do you do that? Come on, somebody. Dr. Brick Cliff from Nation to Nation Christian University wants us to teach a curriculum for the college about how to grow your church through outreach to young people. He wants, to, he, wants, he wants to put that in as a curriculum in the Bible college, and he wants our church to teach it. We have some work to do. I mean, we're experiencing something that's unique, but because we see it and experience it all the time, we take it for granted, and it doesn't seem so special and unique to us. But when I sit in a room and I hear four young men share their heart on the concept of a father, I'm thinking God is stirring something, and this revival isn't about just what we experience in our corporate meetings. It's not just about a good time in church. It's not about good music or good preaching or good prayer and altar ministry. Man, God is reviving us. He's stirring us with joy and strength, and things are happening that are unique. And I believe, I believe that the greatest part of this end time revival will be God connecting the heart of fathers with children and young people. I believe that. Let me prove my point. Let me ask you a question about your earthly father. Today's Father's Day, so it's not about criticism or condemning. Again, like I said at the beginning, as the body of Christ, we can go and speak to issues and be positive. There's enough negative going on in the world. Nobody needs to hear that junk. I want to tell you why I'm for something. Not just tell you I'm against something. I want to tell you why I believe in this thing and what, what I believe it is. Let me ask you something about your earth. Was your earthly father present? Was your earthly father absent? Was your er earthly father neglectful? 
Was your earthly father angry? Was your earthly father kind? Was your earthly father gentle? Was your earthly father compassionate? Just for a moment, think about this thing. Because based on your answer, you can see why your earthly father influences your idea and your view of your heavenly father. Children develop ideas about God from their father. And we call God Father. And because we call God Father, Father, that means earthly fathers have a huge responsibility. And let me, let me say this to you. When we see Jesus come, let me tell you something. Yes, Jesus came to save us. He came to die. He came to save us because his blood washes our sin far as the east is from the west, right? We're made righteous through his sacrifice. I get all of that. But oftentimes, we miss what Jesus was really doing in the totality of why he was here. The Bible says that Jesus came to reveal the Father. Because up until the time of Jesus, everyone knew God as this angry God, this God of commandment, this God of law, this God of no compassion. That's why Elijah couldn't, he couldn't recognize God. You remember? The whirlwind came and, wait, I didn't see him. The, the lightning came, there's God, there's God, I've seen that before. Nope, God wasn't in it, right? The earth shook. Yeah, I've seen God do that before because that's what God does. He, op- he shakes the earth, opens it up, and swallows people. Yep. That's God, that's God, that's God. But I didn't find him. All of a sudden, in a moment and a time, I never experienced God like this before. Boom, a whisper. This is different. So Jesus comes to reveal the Father. Not an angry God. Not a God who's got his, his finger on, the, on a button ready to just swallow us up, condemn us, or do away with us. No, Jesus comes to reveal the Father. Can I say this to us, church? God has done nothing on the face of the earth that he didn't do through Father's. In the beginning, come on, who did God create? Adam. God has a plan. He's got a mission. And guess what he does? He creates a man to be a father. What does he tell his father? Go be fruitful, multiply. What he's saying is go express me into my creation. When God said, all right, I got to start over. I got to start over. I got to start over. I'm going to start. Who, who did God start over with? Noah. Well, Noah and his. So Noah's a. Hello, somebody. When God decides to make a covenant with man. Who did he move to? Father Abraham had many sons. I'm inspired by Corey and the guys. I'm sorry. 
Watch what God does in the scripture. Watch how God is moving all through planet earth. Every bit of it can be traced back to his moving through a father. Always through a father. It's right there. It's right there. And if, you, if you're like, well, you know, that's good, Pastor Don. Those are all Old Testament kind of ideas. Yeah, do you know there's a story in the Bible where Jesus did an incredible multitude? You remember the feeding of the 5,000? All right, you read your Bible. That miracle did not happen until the Bible strictly says all the men got in order. And when the men sat down, boom, a miracle happened. It doesn't talk about the wives. It doesn't talk about the children. They're all there. But Jesus is doing a miracle and he says, have the men get in order. Have the men get in order. Have the men get in order. Are we talking about this? Y'all should have heard these guys. This is, they're like, listen, see, that's our problem. As young men, all of our example of older men are men who aren't in order. Oh, oh, they're all out of order. And we, no wonder we don't know what's up and what's down, what's left and what's right. No wonder we don't understand how to navigate through life. Because all the men we would look to, they ain't in order. I was like, hold up. Wait a minute. Mike. Everybody knows their story. Right? Not living for Jesus, drugs, alcohol, mess, all kind of mess, right? Like we don't, we, don't have to, we don't have to advertise what the devil does to celebrate what God did. Get their children removed. Come on, somebody. They come to Jesus. And we've been working with them. When the leadership has spoken in their life, they've moved. It ain't been easy, has it? Been some hard stuff shared, Right? I, I told, there's plenty of times I told Pastor Rod, yeah, they won't be back. That was hard. And here they would be back. Do everything the leadership asked them to do. Two and a half years. Two and a half years of doing it right. And in ten days, their little boy comes back to them permanently. Come on. This is what the church should celebrate. Not that a father didn't do everything right, but that when a father got right with God, come on, and partnered with the Lord, when a father got in the right position, then his heart gets returned to his children, and his children get returned to him. Y'all don't understand. Men got to get to ourselves. We got to get in order. We got to get in line. Then we can partner with God, and miracles happen. When they say, it's never going to happen, you're never going to get them back. You get yourself right with God, and you let God deal with the devil. Blessings happen when men take their right place. That's a quote from young men. And here's what I say to them. As men of God, young men of God, do you understand that a man can only take leadership in his family in direct proportion to his relationship with Jesus Christ? God is looking for men, not perfect men, not men who've always done it right, not men who who never make mistakes, right? That's the issue with leadership. 
We require perfection until we're the one who has to stand up and step into the leadership position. Then we want grace. God is looking for men. He's looking for fathers in the home and in the church because it takes spiritual adults to reproduce themselves spiritually. Because these guys are all about rapping and they're all about, you know, rhyming. You know what they said? They said conceiving and leaving is a sign of an immature man. You see, God's calling men to maturity, to take up headship, to be an example of Jesus in the family. Why is this important? Because men were created for mission. Every man has something inside of his heart. Something built inside of him. Something that he can't explain. Something that maybe other people don't understand. To attempt great things. And, and when we're told we can't. Oh. See that's the worst thing you can do for me. Tell me I can't. You see I, I was going to catch that groundhog this week. Yeah. <laughs> and I would have caught him too. But I realized at the last minute I had the wrong shoe. I needed a boot. I was going to step on him and grab his... T- now, don't, get, don't send me no emails. I didn't say I was going to kill him. I said I was going to catch him. And my wife and daughter and son, they can tell you, I'm, I'm, I, can, I catch live critters all the time and bring them into the house. I remember walking up to the, the door of the car one day with a possum in my hand. And my wife's in the passenger seat going, look at him. Look at him. Look at him. He's just... You know, trying to... And she, she rolled up the window and locked the doors. And I read this and, and I, I realized, man, if I'd have had the right boots on, I could have caught him. I was going to catch him. And then all these comments like, you can't catch him by your hands. He's going to, listen, I see, that's the worst thing y'all could have said. So stay tuned. That's all I got to say. Tell me I can't. Stay tuned. My wife said, please, Don, I don't want to go to the ER. <laughs> See, every man, we want to attempt great things. We're Not that catching a groundhog is a great thing. I'm just saying. Every man, even if he can't identify it, even if he can't make sense of it, is a desire to be a part of something that's greater than himself. This, it might sound controversial to some of you, and, but I just want you to just, you know, hear me with your good ears. I believe men long for a fight. I'm not talking about violence. Just to want to be part of the battle. That's why we love sports. Our team's going to war. We're going to battle. We use this kind of vocab and these kind of ideas and, and those type of things. There's, there's something in us that wants to make Wrong, right. Uh, and I start discovering a lot of things when I hang out with young men about who they are and what drives them. And you know what? I, and, and Mark and Gabriel, they, they're incredible guys. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm about to put my finger on some of it. But also inside of Corey, there's something that's violated by injustice. 
when he sees injustice, man, like he's violated to his core. And I'm not saying he's always responded correctly to that violation. <laughs> but I'm saying he's, there's, it's a part of who he is, and, and there's something, right, that's inside of there that says, I've got to make this wrong right. This is not good, right? I think men are allergic to boredom. My wife has always said, when Don gets bored, bad things happen. She, I, I get out there and power, I get my power tools out and I start doing some stuff. And, you know, I'm just out there doing some stuff. Hello, I'm doing some stuff. And I got power tools out, drop cords everywhere, lights and, and you know, saws are whirling and all this stuff. And my wife comes out into the garage, you know, like she belongs out there or something. I don't, no, 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 don't do that. I don't, I don't go in her kitchen and start cooking Thai food, okay? And then she's out there, she's like, hey, well, what are you doing? I'm like, what do you mean, what am I doing? Doing what I want to. I'm a grown man. She says, you know what she says to me? She doesn't even care what the project is. She doesn't. You know her, her next words out of her mouth? Please don't get hurt. I'm like, just. Undoubtedly, I'll come in bleeding in a minute. And she'll be like, oh, do we have to go to the hospital? Like, just get me a Band-Aid. Like, I, we're on mission. I can't be bored. There's just something part of this. That, that's, being bored is different than taking a rest. Because sometimes I just want to sit in a chair. But see, I'm not bored. I'm doing something. I'm not bored. My wife's like, what are you doing? Something. It doesn't look like you're doing anything. No, I'm, do, I'm, I'm, I'm a grown man. I'm doing what I want to. Sitting right here. And for some reason, like Corey, she sees that as a wrong that needs to be righted. Violated by me. Just sit. Just can, hey. No, I'm, hello somebody. See, y'all don't understand. At my house, the recliner, that's called the word. The couch, hello somebody, that's the Old Testament. The bed's the New Testament. So if you call me on a Sunday and go, oh, Pastor Don, did I wake you up? I can say, no, I was just, I was just in the New Testament. Taking a nap. Jesus took naps, so can I want to be like Jesus? Men can struggle with life mattering. You want to know why? Because it's, in that struggle, it's, is there a mission to accomplish? And if there isn't, then some men just settle for mediocrity. They just settle for the, okay, this is it. This is just what the life is. I just get up, go to work, come home, go to bed. Get up, go to work, come up, come up. Like, this is just what I do. It's just like, you know what I'm saying? Like, and then other men, because they can't settle for mediocrity, what they do is instead of channeling it in the right direction and being productive and, and, and constructive with this thing, they make foolish decisions trying to satisfy this need. Every man at some point in his life will ask himself, is this is, wasn't life meant to be more than just this? Tom Brady, Tom Brady. Tom, I can't believe it's coming out of my mouth. Because, you know, I'm a Peyton Manning fan. You know, 
6'5", 270 pounds, laser rocket arm, Peyton Manning. There's a suit of armor in my office. Many of you have seen it. I've named the suit of armor. Hello, somebody. It's Sir Peyton of Manning. That's, hello, somebody. Tom Brady, he's won so many Super Bowls, yet you know what his testimony is? I always felt like something was missing. Can I say this to you, men without a mission are dangerous. They're dangerous to themselves, and they're dangerous to everyone around them. This is why men must understand their role in the mission of God. So why do I start this way today? What's the proof of this line of thinking? Well, we're created in God's image, and God is a missional God. Hello, somebody. Every time I go away to another country or those type of things, I'm always reminded, not that it's not good. Like, I love visiting other countries. I love seeing the cultures. I love eating the food. I love talking to the people. I love seeing how they live and, and, and the things that happen inside of there. Uh, we were in Dar es Salaam. Dar es Salaam in Tanzania. Right on the coast. And it was really built by the Germans, Shirin. Uh, the Germans came there. It was just a little bitty boating town. If you don't know, Sharon's from Germany. And uh, she goes home in a week or so. We're so sad. Anyway, um, but it didn't really become a popular city until the Germans came there. And, and they built the infrastructure and those type of things. It's a heavily Muslim city right now and those type of things. And, and uh, the call to prayer goes over the city, you know, uh, five times a day. And all this stuff is happening. You see the Muslims move to prayer and, and everything that's taking place. And I happen to be there during Ramadan, which is a really cool time to be in a Muslim country. Um, not so peaceful if you're a Christian because you're a little apprehensive, but I remember talking to some of the Muslims and, and just watching what's happening with them and those things. I love visiting, but I'm always reminded that I am not a missionary. I'm missional, but I'm not a missionary. Like, I don't want to live in Dar es Salaam. It's beautiful. It's right on the coast of East Africa. I'm not a missionary. I love this pulpit. I love this place, right? I'd just be happy as a bug in a rug right here for the rest of my... Hello, somebody. But I'm missional, and God's missional. He's created me to be missional, and so I'm not afraid to go. I actually like going. I love coming home. And here's what the boys said the other day. You know why this happens? You know why we are missional? Because God didn't create mission for man. He created man for mission. Wow. God had a mission in the beginning. God created. He's got a mission. And he created. Adam found his complete mission in the Garden of Eden. You know why? Because God was there. Missional. I'm with God. I'm moving with God. I'm doing with God. I'm getting in the right order, in the right place. It was when man got out of the right place that, come on somebody, things got off skew. Now God intends to accomplish his mission, and I believe he intends to do that through the local church. 
I believe that. I'm a pastor. I'll say that. Jesus can correct me when I get there. But until then, I'm going to continue to say that I believe that God wants to accomplish his mission through the local church. And that means the local church, the mission of God is only as effective as the men in the local church. So the local church needs to be a priority in every man's life. The struggle is that men have made the church the end of the mission. We accomplish the task. I'm here every week. I'm here every week. I got drug here by my wife. I got drug here, but come on somebody. But I'm here. This is it. I accomplished the task. Men, this is what I heard the young guys say. You know, here's the thing that we see, right? Sometimes we see men say, well, I brought my family to church. Mission accomplished. I brought my kids a Bible. I hope they read it. I dropped them off at youth group. Now they have spiritual examples. I don't need to be one. These ain't my words. I just wrote them down. This is all great. But the problem is the church... It's not the end of the mission. Can I say this? Because I love healthy churches and I want to travel the world and continue to, to raise up leadership to create healthy churches. That's, if, if I do anything, if, I, if y'all took everything else away from me and allowed me to just train leaders so that we have healthy churches, man, come on. If I never preached another sermon... If you ask me, Pastor Don, what could you do? One thing, you only get to do one thing for the rest of your life. And that includes preaching. And I'd rather preach than eat. Come on. But the goal isn't healthy churches. The goal is healthy churches that engage in mission. And in order for that to happen, we need men. I should have, the ladies are the ones who should have said amen. I'm really tired of this conversation of toxic masculinity, especially in the church. Anybody who has that kind of conversation never, ever, ever read the idea of God's biblical heroes in the Bible. These guys are not worried about toxic masculinity. As a matter of fact, David stood in front of a whole army and said, you bunch of wimps. Men might use a different word, but that's not what we're doing today. What's the matter with you? Men? Y'all ever watch that movie, uh, uh, Troy? Right? What, what's the, the Brad, is it Brad? Brad Pitt plays Achilles. And you see the two armies gathered together, right? And, and, and the one king calls out his, his, his hero. And what's going to happen is these two heroes come to battle. And whoever wins between the two of them, right, that's the battle for the day. Instead of both armies dying. And whoever loses, their army has to submit to that king and become part of there, right? And so the one king calls out his hero. And this big, man, this dude, I promise you, he's got muscles bulging out of his earlobes. He's shouting and waking. He's a big old dude, man, this guy. Looks like he works out at Dave's hardcore gym. And then here comes Achilles on the horse, gets off, walks over to the king, and he says, imagine if kings fought their own battles. And I was like, this guy. Right? Boom. 
Here's a guy right away, right? Here's a guy, boom, right away, meets his foe. And with one strike, bang, it's over. I love that he stands. See, y'all, I, this is a dude movie. He stands in front of the rest of the army and looks at him and says, is there anybody else? Anybody? I mean, to me, right? You know, that, that scene rates right under the movie Tombstone. Y'all always said, that's a fake, my be- the, holy, come on, Doc Holliday. I'm your huckleberry. <laughs> Doc Holliday, why are you out here? Because Wyatt Earp's my friend. I got lots of friends. And Doc says, I don't. Faithfulness, commitment, a brotherhood. I mean, I did, listen, that's, it's my favorite. I mean, why, come on, somebody. I'm your huckleberry. See, most people don't even know what a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a huckle, a handle, berry in the ground. Huckleberry means pallbearer. See, y'all didn't even know. Y'all, y'all just learned. Everybody's going to watch Tombstone today and they're going to be like, what? That means what, what, what Doc was saying to the death and I'm going to put you in the ground. I'm going to be a pallbearer. <laughs> and he says to him, I'll be a daisy if you do. That means you'll have to kill me to do it. Y'all don't get it. Y'all don't see you got to watch these movies. You're like, oh, man, this guy. Doc Holliday. There they are. Mission matters. Something of man is there, right? Like it's there. It pushes them into something, right? Oh, Doc's mission is his friendship with Wyatt Earp. Period. Achilles' mission, right, is to be a hero. You see, the struggle of manhood isn't that we don't know what to do. The struggle is we just don't do it. The struggle of manhood is that we don't, it's not that we don't know what to do. It's just that we don't do it. Come on, gentlemen in the room. How many of times do you know exactly what your wife wants and needs from you, but you just don't? Let's just be honest. How many of us guys know what our children need from us? But we come home and we use all kinds of excuses. I'm tired. I worked all day. I remember Matt Chandler standing up. We went to the Act Like Men conference. And and, and he said at the end. Remember this, Tim? He said at the end of his message. He said, listen here, dads. He said, if you're not tired and exhausted, you're not doing it right. It was a great statement. Because their motivation is, is mission, right? Is mission. Somehow, somehow we're never too tired to go fishing after a long day of work. You know what? In the Bible college, and I shared this a little bit this year, one of our homework assignments uh, was to find a father in the Bible who had good sons. And for me, I'm going to be honest, it was difficult. And what was the most difficult thing about this is that as I looked at all my Bible heroes, I thought they were lousy fathers. And a lot of their problems were the result of that. A lot of what hindered their mission was a result of their inability to be a good father. Listen, Father Abraham had many sons, but he also had a pattern of telling his enemy that his gorgeous drop-dead wife was just beautiful, was his sister and not his wife. And as a result of that, his son repeated... The same thing. This is the guy God's working through to establish his covenant. 
David, David, King David, his kids were a mess. One of them's trying to dethrone him. Another one is raping his sister. David's doing nothing. Y'all not helping me. I'm not trying to discourage you about your Bible heroes. Because all my favorite ones in the Bible, they seem to be terrible fathers except one. Just put your bookmark right there. Because gentlemen... Here's what the boy said to me the other day. He said, here's, the, here's what we see. Here's what we see. As men, God has not only saved us from something, he saved us for something. And not understanding this as men means that we just accept Jesus and we just keep living the same way we've always lived. A man... Called to follow Jesus is called to live differently. Listen to me. If any man in this room or listening to this message thinks following Jesus is boring, that man is not following Jesus. And no man can produce what he has not experienced. This is why men struggle to love. This is why men struggle to lead. Because we weren't loved. We weren't led. We don't know the models. And we struggle. We don't know what it looks like. I can ask every man in this room right now. Are you supposed to be the head of your home? Yes. What exactly does that look like? I got no idea. And what happens because we don't lead in that morning. We abdicate leadership. And our wife has to fill a role she's not called or created to fill. This is not about being ogres. This is not about being, being overlords or those type of things. Listen, the, a, a husband in the Bible is the only one called to love in the relationship. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. What that means is he left heaven perfection, came to earth brokenness. He gave up everything he was for his wife. And I will say to every man that if you and I aren't willing to die to ourselves and give up everything we were for her, we don't really love that woman. And we don't understand love and compassion. We don't understand leadership because what happens is we think leadership is about bending everything to our will or just being in charge or being the dictator, the one who makes the rules that isn't subject to, to those very same rules. Let us not a Christian man. That is not a God-fearing father. And, but the problem is, even our dads uh, that went before us men, they did the best they could with what they had. I believe that. But no man can produce what he hasn't experienced. And this is why fatherhood is so difficult. Because we only produce what we've experienced. And that's my family, man. I was, I was raised by a military man. It wasn't complicated. Life was not complicated for me. I knew exactly what was expected of me every day. I knew exactly what time it was expected. Hello, somebody. And I knew exactly what the results were on either side of it. If I produced, there were results. If I failed, there were results. There was never an apology. 
My dad, when he brought correction to me and my brother, he never once ever looked at me and my brother and said, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. No, he intended for it to hurt me. He wasn't abusive. You knew the rules. You knew what was expected. You knew what was expected. And so, as I, that's what I knew. I, I, this is it. Ask my daughter. Ask my son. These are the rules. I'm not apologizing. And I'm not explaining to you either. I just, and man, I had to learn that just because my father fathered me that way doesn't mean I have to father my children that way. Does that mean that I didn't have rules and those type of things? Absolutely. I remember one late one night, Malin was, uh, Lisa worked third shift, and me and Malin were home. And maybe I've told this story before, and, and I, don't, I don't even know what she did. I don't even know what she did. But anyway, um, uh, we, we ate dinner together, and uh, then it was time to go to bed. And, and um, I, I don't know, something happened, and I was like, okay, no, you can't have ice cream now. Now you got to go to bed. Just go to bed. You go to bed. We're going to have ice cream after dinner. You can't have ice cream. Got to go to bed, right? And I remember she was so upset, and she was crying, and she just, she just went to bed. And I heard her back there in her bedroom, and she's crying, you know, because, right, like she had to go to bed without ice cream, and she had gotten in trouble and, and all those things. And, and I was sitting in the living room, and I hear this little voice from the back of the, the house we lived in. And I hear this little voice said, can I, can I at least have a kiss goodnight? Yeah, I'm a moron. You know what I said to her? I shouted to her down the hallway. Do you think you deserve it? You know, right there and then, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. You know what the Holy Spirit said to me, dads? Be glad I never asked you that question. Tears start coming down my face. And I was so sorry for what I had said. I mean, it's just like, boom, it just hit me. And I thought, I don't want to father this way. I don't want her to experience that, not from me. And so I marched down the room, down the hallway, opened up the door. I said, get up, come on. And she was looking at me. I said, dry your face, come on, dry, dry your face, right? Like, she dried her face. She came out there. She's surprised. I've got all the ice cream on the, in the freezer on the table. And I'm like, what, what do you want? Which one? We ate all the ice cream. We ate all, all the ice cream. And, and then we put it in. We cleaned it up. Lisa gets home in the morning, right? And, and, and all of the ice cream tubs are in the garbage. She goes to throw something away. And she see, she's like, what happened? You guys ate all the ice cream? I was like, yep, we ate all the ice cream because I'm a good dad. <laughs> yeah, all. Every bit of it. You let her eat ice cream late, late at night. Yep, every bit that she wanted. Almost went and got her more. <laughs> Ever since then, I said, I'm a father different. Not a condemnation on my father. I love him. But Jesus always calls us as men to reproduce ourselves and what we've experienced. And sometimes when we haven't experienced the right thing, we have to look to our Father in heaven. Because fatherhood is connected to our relationship with Christ. Jesus simply sent his disciples out to do 
to do what they had saw and experienced. And Jesus called them in to trust him to follow, discover what this means in our life so we can reproduce it. And this means leading our families, men. This means leading our families, our community to trust Jesus. This is why our personal relationship and experience with Jesus is so important as a man. Fathers, do you realize what this looks like? Let me give you a picture. It looks like an anchor. Every man in here knows what an anchor looks like. Come on. You know what an anchor does? An anchor holds a ship in its place in a storm. It secures the, the, the ship for safety in a storm. And you know what else an anchor is used for? Sometimes an anchor isn't used to secure a ship to the bottom. Sometimes anchors are dropped into the water to drag behind a ship to slow it down from getting off course. If the wind is blowing the ship hard to the right... And the ship needs to stay left. Drop the anchor on the left-hand side and let it drag us into the wind. Come on, somebody. Sometimes an anchor is, is used, right, to steady, to guide, to lead, to drop, to hold us in place. As an anchor is used to see no ship can survive its journey or arrive at its destination without an anchor. And your family is the ship, men, that God has put you on to, to sail and to make sure that your family arrives at its destination. And so you've got to be the anchor that not only holds your, your ship in place, but steadies that ship in a storm that keeps it in the right direction. Men, I believe God's anchor is us in this world. I remember having a, 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 a tough conversation with my son, and he'll tell you we've had a few of those. Hello, somebody. A couple of those I thought he was going to punch me in the face. Just being honest. A couple of times him and I would have conversations. I'd look at his mom and say, you need to go in a different room. Because I don't need you here protecting him. And as his mother, you don't need to know what I'm about to say to him. You remember that? And she, I remember her walking out of the room going, please, Don, don't kill him. I said, I'm not going to kill him. Do you pray he doesn't kill me? Have you seen the size of him? <laughs> and we had a, we've had a lot of conversations, haven't we, bud? A lot of hard heart-to-heart conversations, and nothing's ever been off the table. We've never blown smoke up each other. We've always been very honest, and, and some of mine in his conversations, you guys would it, would, it would violate you. See, I'm a father speaking to a son. I don't need your permission. I don't need your permission to speak to him and to share my thoughts and ideas. And we went through some hard times like everybody does, and, and, and uh, you know, I remember... Waiting. I remember. Come on, I told him. I remember sitting on. I remember waiting for him to come home. I, I, you know, three years felt like a funeral every day. I remember that. And I remember my wife looking at me and saying, you don't trust God. I've seen you inspire other people. I've seen you inspire this leadership team. There was nothing here but woods. And you went into a room and encouraged that whole church. We can build. We can do what God's told. They told you not to build a church in Centerville because it wasn't enough people. And I knew God spoke to you and you inspired everybody. We can do it. We're on mission. We can do it. You can make people believe for God what they couldn't believe for God for. But you don't trust God with that boy. She said, and until you do, God's not, you're not in the right place. Until you learn to trust God with him, he's not coming home. My wife looked at me and said, you're the hindrance. Hello, gentlemen. That's your pastor's wife. I didn't like a word she said. 
close by. I'm right. But I prayed about it, and again, the Holy Spirit spoke. And I said, so I just want to love him. I just want to encourage him. I just want to embrace him. I just want to touch him. I just want, I want to talk to him. I, just, I don't want to do anything that violates my ability to talk to him or embrace him. And I remember that long three years. And I, Listen, Sarah Schwartz would wind up in my office. You remember these conversations? And she would, she would come back to me and sit, she'd sit in my office across my desk and she'd look at me and she'd go, she'd go do, you, do you think TC's ever coming home? You remember that? And I said, oh, sweetheart, I, I just don't know. You can't put your life on hold. And she said to me, no, God spoke to me. I'm supposed to wait for him. I'm like, and I remember telling her, you got more faith than I do, babe. But let's pray. And we prayed, didn't we? We had many conversations like that. And one day TC showed up. This is my story. I don't want to pick on you. I'll just tell my story because I'm, I'm no hero. Trust me. And we began to have a conversation after all these years of being gone. And you know what he said to me? I'll never forget this conversation. If I forget any of our other ones, bud, I'll never forget this one. He said, Dad, and, and everything we went through and how much we disagreed and all the tough conversations we had, the one thing I always knew is I knew where you would be. I knew where you would be. And just blessed my heart in that minute. And I just said, hey, man, we're here together. And that's what I know. That's all I care about is that no matter where we're at, we're here together. That's all I care about. That's all I want. This famous story is my inspiration. Because we see a father whose son wandered away from his embrace. Do, do you understand the father cared nothing about his possessions? Do you know how I know that? Because instantly he divided it. He's not even dead yet. He could have told his sons, you get that when I die. No. He cared nothing about his possessions. He only cared about his sons. He only cared about the embrace. He only cared about the embrace. And this son, he began to look for meaning and purpose outside of the guidance of his father. You know what the young men said to me in the room the other day? They said, you know what? Here's the truth we believe. That when we abandon fatherhood, we always lose our way. Not only when fathers abandon the idea of fatherhood, but when children abandon the idea of fatherhood. We always lose our way. We always lose our way. Embracing a father is just as important as being a father. I'm going to say it again. Embracing a father is just as important as being a father. Fathers are God's gift to us. Fathers are how God works through the world. Just read your Bible. Men were created for mission because that's how God is moving. That's how God is working. Come on, church, this is so good. This is a great story. This is why fathers hold a significant position in God's mission. They serve as anchors, providing stability and direction. And the father in this story is a great example of love and forgiveness and wisdom. 
despite the rebellion of his son and the poor decisions of his son, the father didn't cast him aside. Do you know, parents, dads, that you can love your children without agreeing with decisions they've made? And sometimes your children, especially as they grow and become adults, are going to make decisions that make you feel like their enemy. That's not of the Lord. I'm not saying you shouldn't stand. This is where I stand. I remember talking to T. Hey, bud, I can't go down that path with you. I love you. But that's not a path I can walk. Come on. Those are great conversations inside of those things. We're just very honest in those things. So despite this, right, he was the anchor in place and his son knew where to find him. Listen, dads, when all hell breaks loose in your children's life, will they know where to find you? And let me guarantee you, all hell is going to break loose in their life. Do you think that God, the devil, is going to allow God to pour out an end-time revival that is involving young people without attacking those young people? Do you think that's going to happen? Because you're fooling yourself. You're playing possum in the spirit realm, and that's not supposed to happen. All hell is coming against our daughters and our sons. All hell looks to destroy them, to kill and steal and destroy. Do you understand? And let me give you the proof. In one generation, in one generation, all of a sudden, this never happened before. In one generation, kids have no idea who they are. Their battle's not with right or wrong. Their battle's with identity. We have no idea who we are. And I would say it's because social media and smartphones have replaced dad's advice. These kids are getting their opinion from somebody else who's whacked. Instead of a dad who will say, let me help you out. Let me help you out. In one generation. In one generation. And we can trace that struggle right back to the beginning of social media. That's when it started. That's when it started. The prodigal son returned, and you know what the father said? I got to hurry up. He ran and embraced him. Why is this a big deal? Because everyone saw that son leave, and then everyone saw that father run to him. This man didn't father in private. He fathered in public. Everyone knew his disappointments. Everyone knew his struggles. Everyone knew what he was going through as a father. But when his son returned, everyone also knew where his heart was postured. 
could care less about embarrassing myself. I could care less what everybody else thinks about me. All I care is my son was dead. I was living his funeral every day, but now he's alive. Come on, somebody. It teaches me that as a father should never give up on my children. I'm on mission. I'm the anchor. I got to be consistent in my source of love, support, and forgiveness. Dad, men, your very presence serves as a moral compass for children. You help them navigate through life's challenges. I'm constantly asking, my, what, my, what would my dad believe? What would my dad believe in this moment? What might my dad believe in this moment? What would my dad do in this moment? What, what would I hear? I hear those words, Don, you know why we do the right thing? Because it's the right thing to do. I hear those words in my dad's voice. The moment you start doing something for benefit, you could care less what's right or wrong. You know why we do the right thing, Don? Because it's the right thing to do. You know, I hear my dad's voice. How come there's always time to do it right the second time and never time to do it right the first time? You know what I hear? I hear these words that my father would speak to me over and over and over and over again. I, re- I remember looking at my dad and him and I just wrestling with each other and fighting for authority or, or whatever it was. And, and I remember shouting at my dad saying, I don't know what you want from me. What do you expect from me? And all he looked me right now and said, I expect you to be a good man. That's all my expectations for you are. I could care less what that looks like, but you will be a good man. I've never forgotten those words. As the anchor of your family, you're responsible for providing a strong foundation. The anchor keeps the ship Steady and turbulent waters. And let me just say this, men. And these young people will testify to this. How a man treats his wife has a great deal to do with his ability to raise children. I'm going to say it again because some of y'all didn't respond. I should have, ladies should have helped. Y'all should have stood up and clapped right there. How a man treats a woman depends. That's a great deal. It has a great deal to do with his ability to raise children. Let me say this to you, men. The Bible says that if you dishonor your wife, God doesn't even hear your prayers. It's right there. I don't have a trick Bible. Men, I'm going to say this. If you dishonor your wife with pornography... 100% of the pornography in your home winds up in your children's hands. I mean it. It's my house. I'm responsible, not her. And children watch their mothers get honored or dishonored. And they learn, especially boys. That if men find the value of women 
as something that just satisfies their flesh, then those young boys will live their life degrading women. So quiet today. Gentlemen, I love you. Here's what these young men said to me Wednesday afternoon. I asked them, where'd your values come from? To a young man, to a young man, to each and every one of them, every one of them looked me in the eye and said, my values came from my father. I said, were they perfect? Oh, no, we could tell you some stories. Do you need them to be perfect? No. I just need him to be there. Your values are where your family's values come from. And gentlemen, if your compass is off, their compass will be off. They have no anchor without you. When we make church the end of the mission, I brought my family to church. Mission accomplished. I bought my kids a Bible. I hope they read it. I dropped them off at youth group. Now they have spiritual examples. I don't need to be one. But when they have a father whose, their, whose values become their values, whose compass is straight so their compass is straight, it's at home that they need you. Pray for them at home. Study the Bible with them at home. Don't just buy them a Bible. Teach them how to read the Bible. Be the spiritual leader at their home. No youth leader should ever take your place. Come on, worship team. We gotta, we gotta, everybody wants to get to the grill. I get it. Let me say this, men. Here's a word of caution, just like we begin, right? Like, I love, I love our eldership team's heart about standing up and making sure that we represent God well, especially as men, that we don't want to put up with bad behavior from men. Come on, somebody. But I also love the idea that every one of us understand that an anchor doesn't imply rigid authority or dominance. Fathers have to always be open to growth and understanding. And you know what? Sometimes it's okay to eat ice cream. And to eat it all. It's all right. It's not the end of the world. Dad is great. He gave us a chocolate cake. Dad is... You gave her cake? For dinner, yes. It's got eggs. It's got flour. It's got milk. Dad is great. He gave us a chocolate cake. You can't have cake for supper. Sometimes dad needs chocolate cake points, not brownie points. Sometimes it's okay. Sometimes it's okay. Let's me and you open up this whole box of little Debbies and eat them together. What fosters an environment of trust and communication in the family? Father, I want my children 
to know that even if they know we're going to disagree, they can come and talk to me. And we've had those conversations, haven't we? Haven't we? It's been tough. I've always done that well. But fathering is an ongoing journey. We live in a world that undervalues the role of a father. Can you say amen? And it's our job to affirm them, support them in their critical role. It's our job to affirm fathers and to support fathers in their critical role. It's our job as a church, right? We always have baby dedications, but if you pay attention, really the dedication is not about the baby at all. I don't have no idea what's going on. It's really the parents making the dedication. And fathers are the first most of that. Many times I'll say to the mom, hand the baby to dad. We gotta honor fathers among us. Their sacrifice cannot go unnoticed. Their provision cannot go unnoticed. And so, fathers, I want you to stand in this room right now. Come on, stand. Let's give them a hand. Yeah. We love you. Stay standing. Fathers, here's what we say to you. We want you to embrace your journey. There's, no one needs you to be perfect. Just be a man who's willing to be perfected. And you know what? There are times when you need to go to your kids and go, you know what? I was, I was, I was an idiot. I've been there. Sorry. Just, I just loved you so much. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry I took that stick after that guy. I'm, I'm just sorry. That, <laughs> Sorry, I got banned from Pizza Hut for a while. Sorry. It was probably not real Christian of me. Oh, somebody. <laughs> Be the anchor that holds your family together. Come on. It's not hard. Show an unwavering love and forgiveness and support. Admit to your family. I, I, don't, I don't know how to love you perfectly, but I, I'm, I'm working on it. God has given you to us. Come on, church. God has given them to us. They're ours. And fathers, we need your presence. In the home. In the community. In the church, we need you. Absolutely, we need you. God has given you to us. I'm going to close with a statement because, see, I'm teaching these guys the circle of sermon writing. Watch this. One of the greatest parts of the end time revival will be God connecting the hearts of the fathers with the children. Can I read you some Bible? I'm going to read this over you. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And, and, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Fathers, do you realize that you being in the position of who you are 
actually holds back the wrath of God. Malachi 4, 5, and 6. Do, do you understand that? That sometimes you being in the right position, your children making a mistake that deserves the wrath of God. But because your presence is there, come on somebody. God does what only God can do. When men get in the right position, God can do miracles. As fathers on a mission. As you leave here today, out there, there's going to be a pen. That might sound simple. But on the pen, it says, fathers are the anchor of the family. I I would that you would take that pen and put it somewhere that you'll see it every day. So you can see that phrase, fathers are the anchor of the family. If it's in your Bible, if it's in your whatever it is, if it's wherever you shave every morning, I don't... Tape it to the, hello. Keep it in front of you. Because men need a mission. Men need a mission. Men need a mission. You're the anchor that keeps the families together. So I have a gift for you as you leave today. It's not a very expensive pen. It's just a statement. It's just a statement. And so we want to bless you this morning. We're going to pray, and then we're going to sing real quick and dismiss you. Father, thank you for fathers. We admit God, we're human, and we don't do it right. But right now as a church, if you're in this place and there's a man standing around you, just stretch your hands towards him. We want to pray over our fathers today, and we want to say first and foremost, Lord, thank you for them. God, if we live in this world where our Father is no longer a part of it or not part of our life, God, we want to say thank you. Lord, if if we've lived our life where maybe our Father hasn't been the best example and maybe we have scars in our life because of that relationship, thank you, Lord, that you don't leave us there, but that Jesus came to reveal a loving Father. And that we have a Father in heaven who loves us and heals us. And then in the church, you've given us men who can be spiritual fathers to us. So, Lord, thank you for the gift of fathering. I just pray over the men of this church. You've given us mission. And you created us for mission. God, we want to be on mission. We want to love our families. Love our wives. Father, we want... We want to be passionate in our love for our wives, Lord. We want to lead our children gently. And Lord, we want to strike everything that gets in the way of the first two. Help us, God, to own mission. I thank you for these men. I thank you for the men who sit in this church. You've created effectiveness because of them. Raise us up even more. Raise us up even more. Raise us up even more. Raise us up even more, God. Hallelujah.